0: It's Daniel. Welcome to Big Little Explorers, a podcast developed by graduate students to promote scientific literacy in youth. I'm super excited to interview our guest today, Paula Colieta. Paula specifically studies pediatric cancer or cancer in children and is specifically looking at how liver and muscle cancer cells work. And so, with that being said, let's get exploring. So, Paula, um, first question for you is I guess, what led you to pursue your Masters of Science?
1: Yeah, so. Um... I've always loved science, even since I was a little girl. I always enjoyed my science classes because I was always really curious and loved knowing how things worked. Um, but it wasn't really until I started doing uh, a little bit of clinical research at Sunnybrook a couple years ago during my undergrad that I, you know, really found an interest in doing research, uh, you know, more quote unquote professionally. Um, so I worked there for three years. I did some clinical-based uh, research on preterm births and pregnancy complications. And the environment there and my supervisor, um, they were all just very inspirational. And I really enjoyed my time and being able to you know, be a part of making changes in the scientific community and in medicine and everything. So I wanted to be able to do that in more of a hands on way and more on my own terms. So I decided to do a master's so that I could sort of build my own kinds of projects and things that I'm particularly interested in.
0: And what program specifically are you in?
1: I'm in uh, IMS, the Institute of Medical Science. At okay,
0: awesome. Um, So, I guess, pursuing your master's, how would you describe your research in in one sentence or a couple of sentences in a way that a middle school student would understand?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I'm looking at, like you mentioned, two pediatric cancers. So one that's in the liver and one that's in your muscles. And so, your muscles aren't necessarily just, you know, the muscles in your arms, like your biceps when you think of someone who's strong. They're all over your body. Um, So this, that particular cancer can really be anywhere in the body, which is really interesting. Um, And both of them, they're they're both in children, but they both behave very differently, Um, which is interesting to see how uh, my results differ when I compare one cancer to the other. Um, But an overall view of uh, what I'm studying, I would say I'm looking at um, how these cells secrete or release these small little particles called extracellular vesicles. And the way I like to describe them is they're like little bubbles. Um, They're very tiny and they contain all kinds of things. They'll carry DNA, RNA, um, proteins, and different little chemicals and things that they use uh, for signaling to other cells. And so I'm trying to study what's inside of these little vesicles or bubbles, if you will, Um, and trying to see how when the cells release them, what's contained in them, and why are they so important to the cancer. Sounds really really cool and interesting
0: and, and really like something that's really important that needs to be studied. Um, so you mentioned you studied those two different types of cancers. Um, I guess it would be interesting to know what causes those cancers initially, and so why do kids um, normally get cancer? I guess normally when you think of cancer, you think of a disease that mostly older people um, get later on in life. But what would be the cause of cancer in, in children?
1: Mm-hmm, sure. So. Um like all cancers, you know, usually they begin because your cells divide every day, but sometimes your cells will divide in a way that's not proper, not typical, and so that throws all of the systems out of balance, and so your cells can start uh, specific cells, you know, will start d- uh, dividing and splitting really rapidly, and then you'll develop this sort of little tumor mass that becomes the cancer. Um, in kids, and these cancers specifically, they Start off from these very early cells that start off um, growing when the baby is still inside the mom's tummy, when it's still growing before it's born. And so those early, ba- quote unquote, baby cells um, are what the cancer comes from, and that's why these specific cancers develop in children. Because those baby cells will divide and what's called differentiate or develop into other more mature cells as after birth and as you grow and develop they have a, a very specific role that they play um, when you're older but as a young child they're still uh, they're still trying to develop as well these cells and so if they start rapidly dividing and misbehaving um, that's when can these kinds of cancers will develop in kids okay.
0: So essentially I guess since you're studying liver and muscle it's- I guess the cells that lead eventually to development of liver and muscle, basically those cells just are not growing properly. Exactly. Um, And so, what would the normal treatments be for kids who have these types of muscle and and, um, liver cancers? Yeah, sure.
1: So, when um, parents or the doctors, you know, first suspect that the kid might have cancer, they'll have to do, you know, different kinds of imaging, so they'll have to get Maybe an x-ray or something that's called an MRI or a CT scan that helps see inside your body and gets to see, you know, different parts. Like, you can see bones and you can see your muscles and you can see different organs with those. And they're trying to look for, you know, a tumor in there. And then they'll do a surgery that's called a biopsy. So they take, like, a little hole punch out of that little sample that they think might be the cancer. And then they use that and they send it out to other doctors who will run tests and try to determine if that's a cancer. And once they, um, if they determine that it is a cancer, then they'll have to do some treatments called chemotherapy, which um, puts drugs into the system that helps attack specifically these cancer cells to try to kill them and shrink them so that the cancer doesn't keep growing and spreading. Um, and that's for both the liver and the muscle cancer. And sometimes in the muscle cancer, um, they will also do radiation therapy, um, which is just you know an extra tool that will help. Um, kill these
0: cancer cells. sounds like a lot of treatment, I guess, a lot of treatment options available for these cancers, which is really good. Um, And I guess, since you mentioned you study these specific cancer cells, um, what are some of the techniques that you use in the lab? How do you, I guess, how do you study these these cancers?
1: Sure, yeah, so I look at my, uh, these two cancers in two ways. So I look at them using cell lines that I grow in little dishes, and um, You know, I can look at them under the microscope to see how well they're growing and how they behave. Um, And then I also study using those little hole punch biopsies that I mentioned. Sometimes um, we get to use those samples for research after um, if they're not needed uh, by the doctors. Um, So I get to work with those samples as well. And so I get to do the same tests on both the cells that I grow and the patient's tumor samples. So that way I can look to make sure that the results I'm getting are the same or very similar because they are um, from the same cancer. So I look at these muscle cancer cells growing in a dish and then seeing how those same cells behaved inside a person's body as the tumor. And so I do things like looking at, uh, I'm particularly interested in, in the proteins that these cells secrete within those little bubbles. Um, so I do something that's called like a Western blot. So basically, it's just a technique that looks at how much protein are um, expressed or uh, present inside the cells. And then you can use um, little tags almost that help you visualize specific proteins. So if I want to look for a protein that belongs to this part of the cell, I can use those tags, and then it shows it to me on this little gel or membrane sheet and it basically lights up like a little bar and you can see it from there and that's how I know that I've you know detected the proteins that are in there and I've uh, collected my cells the right ways and things like that
0: sounds really really interesting Um, do you use any animal models I know some scientists they really like to use lab mice or lab rats or anything and I know you mentioned that you do most of your cells just growing in a dish but do you get to do any animal work
1: I don't personally get to do any animal work right now, but there are people in my lab that do a lot of animal work, um, and so I'm just I just do more observing of the animals. I uh, get to watch them work with them, but uh, the way I design my project, and because in a master's you only have two years, it's a little bit harder to also work with them mice and having them grow and wait for them to develop the cancers as well. Um, so I. Observed how others in my lab have used the mice just out of curiosity uh, because I didn't have time I don't have the time to do it within my program, but yeah, completely
0: understandable Very interesting
1: work with the mice
0: too, though. Yeah Um, And so you mentioned you're looking at these little bubbles filled with little particles that are sort of secreted by the cells Um, But what does it really mean when a cell secretes something and why would a cell need to secrete something? Essentially, what's the purpose behind it?
1: Yeah, so the cells will secrete things, so um, it's kind of, sometimes it can be kind of like when you sweat. Little beads of sweat just kind of come off your body and, you know, if you look at it, you're like, wow, where is this coming from? And, um, you know, it's just because different cells in your body are releasing those kinds of things. So now picture that, but on an even smaller scale, because you can't see these things that uh, the cells are secreting within your body. Um, so sometimes it's like there's a little gate at the edge of the cell that just kind of opens up and lets these things go out of the cell and it goes out into the circulation um, around other cells, into your blood, even into saliva or urine, those kinds of things. It goes into your bodily fluids. And cells secrete these things so that they can use it as a way to talk to other cells. It's like they're trying to send a text message to someone. So. If they want to tell their next-door cell, um, you know, like, hey, this is a really good environment for us to grow. Let's grow more, and that's kind of what cancer cells do. So they'll say, we're very comfortable here. We like it. This is our nice little home area. Hey, let's tell the other cells, this is a good area. Let's keep spreading and keep dividing, and that's how the cancers grow. So they'll secrete things like these little bubbles or vesicles that I'm studying, and they'll the cell next to it, or cells even very far away, they can travel all over the body, these things. Um, Those cells will then take it up. So they'll open their doors and let them in, and then it's like they're reading the text message. They'll see what's carried inside these little bubbles, and those will cause different reactions, or it'll cause the cells to grow faster, or behave differently, and then it can help the cancer cells grow, if that's the signal that they're sending. Or sometimes other cells can send signals to the cancer cells, um, like your immune system cells that help fight infections and illnesses. Those ones might send signals to the cancer cells and say, hey, you don't belong here. Like, You got to go. We're going to try to destroy you or something like that. Um, so it works both ways, uh, the way they secrete things and why they secrete them. Awesome. And so
0: I guess specifically to your question, what sort of Particles are you looking at? Are they particles like you mentioned? Are they particles that change the immune system? Are they particles that help other cancers grow? Um, what sort of signals are, are your specific cells sending? Yeah,
1: so I'm looking at the proteins that are inside these little bubbles. Um, so nobody's really looked at it too much before. Um, so I don't that's what I'm trying to figure out. What kind of signals are these are they sending with these proteins okay. inside? So I'm trying to figure out what they put inside, what kind of messages they're trying to send, and then how, how they send them. So um, if they send them within these little bubbles, um, do they send them to other cancer cells? Because the signal um, that I'm finding is something that helps them grow, or is it something that is to attack immune cells so that they don't stop them from growing? Um, I'm trying to explore that, yeah, so I don't really know what they're secreting but that's kind of what i'm looking for so
0: that's your question I guess. yeah so, that's okay. my
1: that's my big question
0: try to decode the text messages that the cells are sending exactly yeah
1: it's like they sent a, a text that's all on emojis and i have to try to put it into words yeah
0: that's a, a great analogy yeah. to use um so it sounds like overall you have a really interesting research project and it sounds like it's something that's super important and really relevant um I guess what's your favorite thing overall about your research project and your research experience thus
1: far? Yeah, um, you know what? It's so hard to pick something that's you know my favorite. I mean, I love the labs that I'm working in. I'm surrounded by great people. Everybody's very helpful, very encouraging, um, which is great because sometimes in science things don't go exactly as you plan and you know, you think, oh, man, I did it wrong. You know, why couldn't I just do it right? But sometimes, you know, it's not your fault. You take it to heart because, you know, you worked on this project. It's your own. You, it's your masterpiece. And then when things go wrong, you know, you get down on yourself or you're upset. But, you know, it's helpful having these good people around you that are just like, no, you know, let's look at it in a different way. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe these cells just don't respond in this way that you're hoping for that you're looking at. And so they provide you know a very nice environment to not be afraid if something goes wrong because even when things go wrong or if you get the results you're not expecting, there's still results. It's still something that's interesting because you can still learn from it. And you know maybe it means you have to reframe your question and look at something in a different way, or you know you can try a new technique. Um, but all around, you know, it's always a learning experience, which is always really nice. Um, I think my favorite. Thing or the most exciting thing is using the patient samples um, because it's something that you know is more translational into you know real life. You know the cells I can look at them under a microscope, but I can't take them home and you know show people them. Not just because I'll get in trouble, but because yeah. I don't have a microscope at home to show them. But you know if I study these tissues and these tumor samples and then you know i learned some new really cool information that's something that you know in the future doctors might be able to use that information and take it to their patients and tell them some more information about their cancer or about you know how we're going to be able to treat this and help them fight this thing Um, so that's my favorite part because you know i'll i know that in a way it's going to impact these children that are sick and have these cancers unfortunately and that just knowing that my work is you know going to be meaningful to them
0: yeah so, so i guess cells growing in a dish is one thing but if you're actually taking the, the tissue or the, the samples from the patients you know that if, if you see it in the patient samples then it's something that may actually uh, help them rather than if you see it in a, in a floating dish yes exactly. Uh, it might not be the exact same thing um, And so you mentioned earlier on that you use Western blotting a lot um, in your work to investigate these particles and these proteins. Um, But are there any other lab techniques that you use? And I guess what's your favorite lab technique to use in the lab?
1: Yeah, so I use a couple different techniques. Um, I use a very high-power special microscope called an electron microscope. So it goes past looking at the cells, and you can look at the very, very tiny things. So it lets me actually see these bubbles in real life. Um, and it magnifies things like times 10,000 to 100,000 um, to the size of what they actually are, which is incredible. And so I love using that because it, sometimes when you're doing these experiments, because the things you're working with are so tiny, you don't really know if they're there. It's hard to, you can't see them with the naked eye. So sometimes, um, you know, it's nice having that confirmation. You do all these experiments and then you finally look under this super microscope and you get to see them and you know know, everything worked, everything was successful and you get to see your tiny little bubbles there, um, which is really cool. And I do a couple other um, similar techniques that are just to help me look at the size of these little bubbles that the cells release or their concentrations and stuff like that. But I think that microscope is my is my favorite. I think a lot of people love microscope work. They love imaging and being able to actually see what they're looking
0: yeah, at. And like you get a lot so of cool, pretty images. Exactly. Uh, people are very visual and
1: yes. it,
0: it's much nicer to see a, a nice image than just a bunch of graphs, I guess. Um, and so I guess that's you've given us an amazing overview of your research project. Um, it's really relevant work. Um, and so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Oh, I guess what's next? So, after you complete this research project, um, what are you hoping to do after you're, you're done your master's?
1: Well, I always, since I was a little girl, wanted to be a doctor. Um, I said it when I was, you know, my thinking kindergarten and the first grade, and I, I've said it my whole life. So, I'm hoping to get into medical school, but I also do really love the research now. Doing my stuff at Sunnybrook and doing this masters has really opened my eyes to all that research provides and how you know amazing all these different works are and you know everybody's doing something different even people within your own lab you're studying the same cancers but you're looking at two totally different things and there's so much room for exploration and new knowledge which is amazing so I hope to become what's called a clinician researcher. Or physician researcher I want to be a doctor in both ways I want to go to medical school but I also want to do my PhD and be able to do research and have my own lab so that I can keep exploring and you know keep having all these big questions and finding these answers and learning new things you know for the rest of my life hopefully so some big plans lots of lots of school yeah
0: I mean it's it's really important work Um, And it's important to have physicians who kind of understand the science side and can do both because that's how, at least in my own experiences, that's how most scientific discoveries happen. And that's how you can easily really translate work that happens in the lab to real life because sometimes scientists, they're kind of at the bench for so long that they sort of don't always understand completely whether something is clinically relevant or can clinically happen. Um, So it's always nice to have people that can do both. So we're coming almost to the end of our interview here. Um, But just before we kind of wrap things up, um, do you have any advice to our budding young scientists out there uh, who are hoping to pursue research?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is not to be afraid. You know, I'm sure you'll hear a hundred people tell you to put yourself out there, but it's absolutely true. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back you know apply to every job and research position and look for all kinds of opportunities if you're in high school um, you know talk to your science teachers they might be able to have some advice for you Um, if you're going into university you know your professors are always doing amazing research so if you have a course that you're really interested in or if you have a topic in mind that you know you really like and you want to learn more about um, there's always people who are going to be looking into that stuff so finding people that are Share similar interests with you are always really great to form new connections, and you know, hopefully, um, get into some research in that way, um, or maybe you know, introduce you to new opportunities where you can get in. Um, but don't be afraid. You know, if you see something that says, um, you know, we're looking for X, Y, and Z, but you think, you know, you don't have it, don't be afraid. Apply anyways. You know, it's always better to put yourself out there because there's no harm in it. You know. Um, and you know, you can only succeed if you, if you try. You're not gonna, the scientists aren't gonna come to you. They're not gonna come hunt you down at your door. You know, you have to put yourself out there first. And, um, you know, I definitely applied to, you know, I can't even tell you how many different positions over the years, just trying to get in and figure my way through. But, um, yeah, and just, you know, keep the curiosity. Always, never, you know, get so, caught up in you know what you're doing especially if things are not working um you know it's important to see the big picture how this work is gonna you know be influential or the you know the impacts that it will have um even if it's you know not working out the way you want it to it's always important to keep those things in mind and not get discouraged and keep going absolutely
0: so those are some really inspiring words and i guess the main takeaway is if, uh, if you've never asked the answer is always no So with that, I think that's a a good place to end it. So thank you so much, Paula, for coming on the pod. Um, It was really great to have you. Um, Hopefully we might have you on again (laughs) on a different pod, on a different episode. Um, And so thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you.